Welcome to Engage and Equip, a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. My name is Nick Gibson. I'm the lead pastor here at High Point Church, and I'm joined by Dan Hayes. Dan is a student ministries pastor at Village Church of Gurney in the evil empire of Illinois. It's in Gurney, Illinois. Um, he's been ministering for 16 years. He has an MD from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, same place I went. And he's married to Jenny. They have three kids, Isaac, age 13, Levi, 12, Elise, 10. He's with us today to talk about ideas of rites of passage that can help on the path to discipleship. All right, Dan, the uh, basic idea centers around rites of passage or how um, influential moments in our life can um, help order us, give us roots, help us define our identity and individual individualization and so on. Um, how did you first like focus on this idea, start thinking yeah. about it? Yeah, well, first of all, it's so great to be on the podcast today. Yeah. Uh, definitely pri- privileged to do that. Really, I, I, I wish I could say that it came out of a good experience, but it's really out of a reality of some some bad uh, things that, that I saw happening uh, really on the ground as a youth pastor, seeing students that you saw so much potential in a couple of years later, questioning their faith, drifting away. And the reality of that not just happening in my context, but really across the board. Um, there's some really good study out there that's helpful. Um, uh, resources like Sticky Faith that talk about this back in 2011, talk about 40 to 50% of young people that were involved in youth ministry um, as students, and not just like casually, but really like even in their, their year of, of graduation, they, they were involved, that they... Um, drifted away when they went into college um, and graduated from high school. Those numbers were frightening back in 2011, uh, but they continue to get actually worse. The, the more recent um, studies show that it's, it's closer to two-thirds. And that's not prophetic in the sense that um, we, we, we know that that's going to happen in all churches, but it's, it's an alarm uh, to say something's happening out there. So for me, I'm really one that I see a problem and I don't want to just dwell in the problem. I want to see like, okay, what are ways that we can address that issue? So for me, that's really driven me to, to a lot of thought and prayer. And I would say also like really looking through, through the Bible for answers because we don't want to just come up with our own answers. And for me, like the initial connection of really seeing this, this um, the, the value of rites of passage come from what God did with the Israelites in Joshua 4. And we see that the Israelites came, came out of a, a, a period of, of wandering and almost kind of like lostness in the wilderness. And that connecting to where I see a lot of not just young people, but even adults now, because we're, we're seeing more and more um, stories from adults that are using that phrase, deconstructing their faith. Um, this isn't something that's just to an 18-year-old. It's for people that are, that are older. And can you can mm-hmm. you just define for people what that means? These like people, it's like hip to call this now. Like your your deconversion, essentially, you're yeah. walking away from faith. Yeah, call it deconstructing their faith. Yeah, a lot of times it comes to there, there's this this moment where they see there's there's a challenge or there's a problem with living out their faith. So the way of solving it, instead of like really working through that issue, um, they begin the deconstructing, like like physically it would be like you taking down your house and rebuilding it anew. And so they're, they are taking elements of their faith and they're taking boards of their faith off. Things that often are uncomfortable or difficult, questions mm-hmm. that they had. So some of the boards may stay up in their faith, but they're taking boards that they don't like down and then reconstructing a new faith. It's really more of, in essence, it, it becomes their faith instead of what I see as God's faith that he's given us through, through all time and history and through his word. 
So definitely the, a huge problem. The faith once for all delivered to the saints right. is the biblical yeah. phrase, right? Yes. Yeah, and you get instead, and usually what this means is people either don't consider themselves Christian anymore, or right. don't consider themselves evangelical if that's how they identified before. But in many cases, it's like they just get rid of all the doctrines that make Christianity Christianity. Right. And then they're like, yeah, but I still believe in God and everything. Yeah. And for a biblical or scriptural believer, that's that's not better, maybe worse than someone right. who's never been converted in the first place. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder when people are deconstructing their faith, if they really are deconstructing the true faith, they may be deconstructing what was in essence a false faith from the beginning. Um, And that's something I think we'll we'll learn more about as we see these stories unfold. Yeah, I have been really surprised reading a few of these. I think Joshua Harris's was the most public over the last couple of years, but there's been a few. And I've always been really shocked at how naive they were. Like, I thought right. these people are like, right. they'd follow Jesus for a while, yeah. they like knew him, they dealt with these questions, they'd faced right. them, they dealt with the existential dread of like facing the problem of evil and looking it directly in the face. And, right. And then I read their stories and I'm kind of like, really? Like, Yeah, it's kind of like you're, you're now just dealing with this question. Right. Yeah, it, it is confusing. And, and I think that's some of the parts that have had made me look and, and look through scripture at some of these writes of passage moments to, to catch, uh, is there something kind of basic that we're just missing in how we're walking people through the faith that, um, when they get to 30, 40, 50 and, in and their faith is falling apart, um, man. So going to, to the Israelites coming into the promised land. So they're, they're leaving the place of, of wilderness and God just doesn't build, like make a bridge over the Jordan river to make it easy for the Israelites to go into the promised land. Like they physically have to 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 walk through the Jordan River, the Jordan River parts, and as they do that, I think it's it, it is a it's it's a vis, visible physical rite of passage that that God is saying to the to the Israelites, you are leaving this place of wandering in the wilderness, and you are coming, you're going through this rite of passage into the Promised Land. And what's cool in that is that he doesn't just like have them go through and then like, hey, now you're in, in the promised land. He he instructs Joshua to to send elders into back into the river and pick up 12 stones. And they take those 12 stones and they make a monument. And that monument is supposed to be a, a, a visual reminder to the Israelites of that rite of passage. So it says in Joshua 4, like, hey, when your kids come when, when generations in the past in, in, in the future come and they look at these stones, tell them that this is what God did, remind them about this, this rite of passage. And so I begin seeing that in, in really my, my heart begins to race and my, my passion begins to increase that, wow, is this an example that we can here in 2021 find ways to replicate, um, Writes a passage and reminders that that people, both young and old, can look back to and be and really bolster their faith. Okay, yeah, Dan. Before we jump into the contemporary examples, let me push yeah. you on two things: one yeah. conceptually, one exegetically. So, exegetically, interpreting the Bible, you said, you know, God brought them in the Promised Land. He didn't make it easy by building a bridge. He had them cross the Jordan River. But then you noted that He actually parted the Jordan right. River. So. Do you think of do you think of it as like a difficult thing or a trial, or do you think of, that the thing to remember was 
hey, this is a miracle. God did an incredibly yeah. amazing thing. And then right. he had you get the stones from the bottom of the river where you wouldn't have been able to get right. them. And when your kids come later on, you'll be like, those stones were at the bottom of the Jordan River. Yeah. And they're here because the that riverbed was dry right. because God parted the water to bring us in this country. So in that sense, it seems like a number of these rites of passage in the very early part of the Old Testament signify miraculous actions God did on behalf of his people mm-hmm. to show what he had done for them as opposed right. to trials he forced them to undergo yeah. that forged their character in the trial itself. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, I, d- I definitely hear you. I think there's a little bit of both. Like, like, are there like two, are those two. So this gets to the second question of, yeah. Uh, wh- are those two different things? Is, is there a difference between a act of remembrance and a rite of passage? Right. I think, How, do you distinguish those at all? Yeah. I think they, I think they kind of like, they, they meld together in a lot of cases. So in this one, just going back to, to the, the actual physical like crossing, definitely this was a miracle. It wasn't something that they, they figured out, but the part that, that's powerful there is that the priest did have to like step into the water before the water separates. So there's this, I feel like a lot of times God attaches, he, he partners the miraculous with our step of faith as well, our belief, our trust in him. Mm-hmm. And the Israelites had to like walk. I don't picture the the floor of the Jordan River being like a paved sidewalk. You know, mm-hmm. they're stepping over rocks. They're maybe in some mud and muck. And so along with the miracle, they're remembering this this physical walk that they took. And but clearly when they when they put that the the, the rock tower, you know, however it looked, that is signified. It says in scripture that it's, it's to remember how God parted the river, not just right. like how good that they were, but that, that God did this miracle and that he, that they should remember and they should celebrate that. I think where we're kind of like they, how the, the two partner is that this, this monument of remembrance is attached to a rite of passage that is is helpful to remember the rite of passage, because what I've what I've been noted uh, just noticing is that a lot of times it's easy for us to have like let's say we have a rite of passage, it's easy to for, forget it really quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you see this if you go back in the story as Israel earlier when Israel's leaving Egypt and they cross the Red Sea. Very quickly after crossing the Red Sea, the Israelites are grumbling. And I always found it interesting that that in that quick of a time frame, they forgot, they seem to forget, have amnesia of what God had done for them. And now they're like, hey, where's the food? Where's the water? We want to go back to Egypt. Mm-hmm. Like, didn't don't you remember like what you just did? You went through this through the Red Sea. And so it seems like where you have another crossing, and this one, God, God is setting up something like, hey, I'm gonna help you not forget this one. Um, and there's there's going to be physical rocks that you look that you look to for many years to come. Yeah, I think it is a good point to recognize that in Scripture, miracles are no guarantee of salvation and faith. Right. Yeah. They they can be forgot immediately if the person is just yeah. completely focused on what they get out of it. Right. Or if it creates a sense of entitlement. Well, God did ten plagues and He brought us through the Red Sea. Surely we're going to have filet mignon right. in the desert. Where's mm-hmm. the food? Right. right? Yep. And I think that um, 
I, I do think that when we get back to the question of like trials versus remembrances, like mm. in some ways going through the desert was intended to be a trial. Yeah. And they didn't do very well. No. So, okay. Bring us into the present. Like in what mm. ways did you think acts of remembrance or recognitions of trials or something like that can actually be substantially helpful in ordering the development of like an identity of belonging to Christ right. in a young adult that will persist deep into adulthood. Yeah. I, I believe the greatest example of this, and this is not me creating something new. Jesus gave it to us, um, is in, in, in the step of baptism. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that, that is the greatest visual. And I think what, it, what it's doing is it's, it's really restoring an importance in baptism and the visual story the, the visual picture that we have in baptism that in bapt baptism to me is is in essence a rite of passage it's it's not the thing that makes you a christian but it's it's marking it's it's a visible testimony like hey i i'm, I'm putting a stake in the ground for jesus and i'm doing this in a public way what's cool with baptism also is that we don't just jesus didn't tell us to bring people up on a stage and say like hey now you're you're official like we actually do a physical practice. We get these. We we get people, whether they're young or old. We get them into uh, a body of water, in this practice of actually dunking them underwater and lifting them up. So, like just that visual of dying to Christ and identifying with with the death of Christ, and then coming up a new person representing the resurrection. And to me, that is like a beautiful, beautiful picture. And in essence, I think it's a, it's a sort of like crossing the Jordan River, a, a rite of passage. I think where where we lean into this as a church is where we present it as that, where it's not just, hey, be baptized. It's a one thing. When I talk with people that are considering baptism and we go through the conversation and even right before, I tell them, when you are later in life, going through a hard time, you have questioning of faith. I tell them, I want you to look back at this point that you were baptized and remember, remember the power of that. Remember the visual of that. Remember what you were standing for. And, and even in my own life, I've done that. I was baptized probably when I was around 13 years old up in Northern Wisconsin in, in the Middle River and baptized by my brother. And there's been so many times where I will visually, just the picture in my head will come. And it's, 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 it is for me faith bolstering. I think that that's what I'm hoping and, and yearning for, that, that there's a restoration of that in, in how people look even at a practice like baptism. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So Jesus gave us that one. We have to do it mm -hmm. so we could do it better and help yeah. make it a rite of passage. So what else? Are there any others? Yeah. I, I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking of this and actually one to me, I, I didn't even realize it, but I was introduced to it when I was in college. When I was in college, I was a part of InterVarsity and we would each summer go up to Cedar campus in the upper peninsula of Michigan. And it was a powerful week. And one of the things that I was introduced there is this practice of retreat of silence where you go off just on your own, you, you and God for, for three hours. And they always did that on the, the, the final Sunday of the retreat of, of the week of camp. And on that, they encouraged us in, in this being just a hugely impactful week for, for me in, in my faith. They encouraged us to, to along the shore of Lake Huron to pick up a rock 
and to take that rock and just spend time talking with, with the Lord and where you're at in your faith and to take that rock and bring it home with you and to put it in a place that's visible. And so I did that in college, not really thinking about it much, uh, but but I had that that rock for, for all of my my time in, in, in college and would look back at that and remember that, that week at Cedar Campus, I feel like that is in, in essence a sort of rite of passage where it was it was a it was a breakthrough moment for me, and it was attached to a visual that I brought home with me to to just to remember to look at. Um, had I thought about this as much then, I would have kept that rock because somewhere along the way of moving here and there, I don't have that rock anymore. But simple practices like that, where you have like a, a key moment of faith to attach it to, uh, it's awesome if you can attach it to an, to an item like that, like that, um, tower memorial that, that the Israelites had made that you can look back at. Um, one of the things I see with this too, is the importance of really truly looking back at it. Because unfortunately, when you look at is, um, Israel, if you look forward into the book of judges, you realize, uh, they didn't necessarily do so well. And I think what happened with that is even though they had the, this rock memorial, they, for, they forgot about it. They, they forgot, they, they lost the practice of going back and looking at it and celebrating it and talking about it. And so that's where, um, for me, I'm just emphasizing that, that element with, with these items that attach to the, the rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. so you would include, it sounds like you would say there are symbols of passage yeah. So like the cairn that Israel set up or something that you do, you can have like a rite of passage, like a ceremonial event. Yeah. That's like a one-time thing, yeah. like baptism. Right. Probably a wedding would fall in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, th- I and then maybe like rituals of remembrance that are repetitive. So right. I, I might put the Lord's Supper in that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I definitely would. So are there, are there more than those? Along those lines, do you think you want to share? Yeah, for me, there's one that I really leaned into this past year that you know I would really encourage families to to consider. For me, my my son turned 13 years old this past year, and going into that, I knew I wanted to to make this a special year and in a year that was really marking um, my son Isaac's step from from being a young boy into manhood. Not that he's a complete man yet, but he's he's on that journey. And so we set up a trip. We were gonna we were gonna go to this. This was uh, last summer. We were gonna go to I Royale, but COVID just shut everything down. And so we shifted and we did a trip to the Porcupine Mountains. And this became, in essence, to me, a rite of passage that was not just like you know, baptism is in one moment. This was a, a week long rite of passage. And f- for me, I, I really I wanted it to be more of just a kind of summer trip for Isaac but really something that he would remember. So as we drove up to just some simple things that we did driving up to the upper peninsula, and this was probably like a six hour drive. We, on the way up, we called different key men in Isaac's life. Um, some of my brothers, his small group leader and his, his grandpa. And I just asked them like, Hey, speaking to Isaac as, as a man. And, and that, that was powerful. And he had, he had a great conversation with them. And then, during the week, this this was something. This was a week uh, um, of backpacking, and I made sure that it wasn't just me planning. Isaac was involved in planning as part of his like manhood step. And through the week, we had some incredible conversations 
Um, and, and really, as, as a dad, I prayed each day for the Lord to give me words to speak into my son. And I kind of like developed this, this theme. And I think different parents could do, could do this different ways. But I, I, I prayed and just developed a theme for each day of a word that I wanted to, to speak into Isaac and then attached to a man from, from the scripture that I saw really living this out. So, for example, the first word was actually uh, courage from, from Joshua and mm-hmm. seeing the courage that you see in Joshua. And so each day we had a different word that we leaned into. And as we were backpacking, we like talked about the word and what it meant to, to be a man of God, to, to live that word out. And I feel like that's something that you could do, whether it's uh, a 13-year-old boy or a 13-year-old girl. It doesn't have to be a backpacking trip. It could be going anywhere but really celebrating it and talking about it with that young person as like, hey, this is, this is a transition experience that you're going to have. And for Isaac, we didn't leave with like an object, but um, one of the things that my wife did afterwards is she developed, we, I had taken a lot of pictures, and so he has a photo book of this whole week, and it includes those words that I spoke into him that he could continuously look back at and remember that trip when he was 13. Yeah. Do you feel like the trial nature of it, like doing something hard, it was integral to it? I feel like in, in our case, that was beneficial because there was one day where, uh, you know, especially for, I would say for, for a young boy, I can speak into that with, with my son being, mm-hmm. being a boy turning man, that we, we had a couple of days that were hard and it was three o'clock in the afternoon and we're like looking and we've got like four more miles to hike and we're like, how in the world are we going to get there? And so that sense of persevering and pushing through and yeah, so that was, that was really cool. There was one moment that was really neat where we were actually talking about the word leadership and the person in the Bible we were, look, we were talking about was Nehemiah. And we were talking and this was one of those things, it's like sometimes you'd be surprised how, how God works in this. And and I wanted Isaac to be able to, to see how, as a leader, you got to be able to like think ahead and be prepared. And I was like, Isaac, what do you think you would do if we got, with all of our gear, we got to a river and there wasn't a bridge? Like, what would we do? And we began talking about that. And literally a quarter mile later, we come up to a river and there's no bridge. And so that was a trial that we had to figure out, like, how are we going to cross this one? And we looked at some trees to cross over and like, no, that's a bad idea because we were going to like fall in, into the river. So we like took our boots off and actually walked across through the water. Um, this one, they didn't part, unfortunately, but no, it was a lot of fun. And I, I think that th- those moments that were difficult or actually ended up to be Isaac's favorite, favorite uh, times of our trip. Yeah, well, I, I didn't plan this as spiritually as you, but um, two years ago, I took Abigail, my oldest, on an elk hunt oh, that's in awesome. Colorado yeah. with a good friend of mine who's an extremely encouraging person. Yeah. Um, but it functioned both as like a special trip with dad, um, right. just being around people where she got away from the normal stresses of her life. So it was a kind of like a retreat. Right. She was around all men. So a lot of the anxieties that came from being a girl and being around girls kind of didn't apply that week because mm-hmm. nobody cared about any of that stuff. That's awesome. Because you know, it's just very ultra masculine. And then, she, you know, she was hiking around by herself after dark on a mountain where we had found fresh tracks of two cougars. Wow. Hunting. And like, just that she knew she could do that. And like yeah. hunting, you know, seven miles through the snow one day and yeah. just being tired and bursting into tears and building a fire and having some lunch and 
kept, you know, keep going and right. try to find more elk. And, um, I think it was a really special thing for her, That's you know? Cool. Um, and, but like it was more, I think it was as much the trial. Like it wasn't that yeah. I put something in front of her to test her to see what she could do. Right. But that she sort of tested herself and found out what she could do. Right. And that was really liberating. She's like, yeah. I can hunt, I can hunt through the woods at night yeah. in the dark with cougars. And like, you just keep going. That's right. just how life is. Yeah. And it was freeing. And I think, I think empowering for her in a certain way. And, you know, she's yeah. out under the stars and praying and yeah, you know, like if you don't make that a special thing, like it just never happens. Right. It does. That doesn't just happen because Thursday happens. Right. You know, I, I do, I do see the connection there of, of helping, uh, and it really does apply to young people and people of any age, but just preparing us for hardship and trials. Mm-hmm. That's where I think when you when you look at some of those deconstruction stories and, and drifting of faith, a lot of times it seems like it's attached to like some kind of pressure point. And as soon as that pressure point came or things became uncomfortable, they drifted away. Mm-hmm. Instead of realizing, hey, in, in life, some of the greatest rewards are when you press forward. And I think in terms of, in my own life, some of the most powerful faith moments and faith seasons are when it was there. There was an element of challenge and struggle to it, and in the in the moment, it didn't seem delightful. But looking back, you're like, "Wow, now I see God how you worked through that." And yeah, I, I feel like it's unfortunate. I feel like people are drifting. Some people are are drifting away from God for reasons that really don't warrant it. Yeah. It seems to be that for, you know, deconstruction is taken from critical theory, which is supposed to be a objective or not really objective, but like a intellectual rational process of taking apart assumptions and Mm -hmm. seeing the truth with courage. Right. And it's kind of ironic because I listen to these quote deconstruction stories and they're clearly matters of the heart. They're like, they're emotional struggles and like psychological implosions Mm -hmm. relative to their faith. And then their mind comes up with a very creative and like well-articulated justification for what happens. But like they give the reasons and you're like, you knew those reasons 15 years ago. Right. Like it's not like you got some kind of new information. You just gave up this week. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and now you decided it overwhelmed you. Yeah. And I, I think that um, leading people to be highly resilient psychologically and ready to face yeah. this kind of stuff is critical. And I th- so I think, I think rites of passage, I think actions of remembrance, I think yeah. consistent rituals, whether yeah. communion in the evangelical world. And if you know, you being from university, one of these is just like quiet times, like a yeah. daily ritual of right. remembering God yeah. by reading the Bible and seeking God and praying daily right um we have big ones for things like weddings mm-hmm. right yeah um but there are uh, there's others like um the church calendar like celebrating easter every mm-hmm. year or christmas yeah. like are there things relative to these sort of like repetitive things like holidays or yeah whatever that you think is part of this yeah i like in in, in our in our church and actually this has been true in, in a lot of our churches even taking moments that are like special within those services, like for Christmas Eve, 
we just have the tradition of uh, always ending with silent light and the lighting of the candle candles. And I will just say like, it's a powerful moment. And I think it's, it's a, it's a yearly reminder of like, yes, Jesus has come and this is beautiful. Uh, even things like it at Easter, we have this tradition of, of the whole Christ is risen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And just things like that, that, that seem simple, but they're, they're, there's a continuation of them that, that really become powerful. For me, when I look at whether it's the, the moments that are throughout the church, throughout the calendar, or these special one-time moments, I want to, really my passion is to help place special moments in people's lives and for us to think about that more, that when they get to the hardship, they're not left with looking back at nothing or looking back at like even vagueness, like, okay, I vaguely had attachment to Jesus, but they look back and they're like, oh, if, if I am going to drift away from the faith, I have to like deal with the fact that I, I did feel God's power when I was baptized or in this moment when I was elk hunting or um, when I was at that Christmas Eve service or when I received that rock at the camp that I was at. And, and, and I know that, that I felt the closeness of the Lord there. So there's those moments that looking back with, they have to like wrestle with. And my prayer is that, that, that those moments are like, oh yeah, I could never leave that. Because I think some people are, when they're drifting away, I'm not convinced that they're truly drifting away from Jesus. Because I think like there's, there's man, in my own life, there's just such an attraction to Jesus. I don't know like how I could ever like completely separate myself from that. And so I think, if there were just some of these moments, I'm not saying that this is like the silver bullet, but if there's some of those moments, it may help stop that that drifting. Yeah, let me see if I can clarify this with a distinction. Mm-hmm. If it was true that most young people who walk away from the faith, even if they say all say they're doing it for intellectual reasons, yeah. right? Because it's the truth. Right. If in reality, let's say 50% of those students are really drifting away for a emotional set of reasons. Yeah. But they they the way their mind justifies it is to say oh yeah, but it's really cuz it's the truth, right. right? Then if we said, well, here's what we need to do. We need to do a lot more apologetics. We need to give kids a lot more reasons and we need to do a lot more Christian philosophy. Mm-hmm. Well, if the real reason kids are drifting away is because when they were at home all of the social pressures were towards Jesus. Yeah. And then they move out and all the social pressures are away from Jesus and they're a sucker to social pressures. Yeah. Then it's not really going to help to give them a whole lot more reasons. Right. right? But like if they have, because some people might say, well, also what you're trying to do as the church is like, we're trying to tell them the God's honest secular truth that religion is stupid. And what you're saying Mm. is you want them to have all these emotional attachments so that they could never accept the truth because they're so emotionally captured by religion. That's really not what we're saying. What we're saying is the reason people leave the faith isn't rational. Right. It's emotional. Yeah. And one of the reasons they do that is because there's an overwhelming emotional thrust away from faith. It's not particularly rational. Right. And so um, rituals and actions of attachment are necessary because what's happening is not that people are going through a process of deconstruction when they lose their faith. What they're doing is they're going through a process of disattachment 
in order to lose their faith. And for some kids, their attachment to the faith was never really strong. They were always faking it. Their parents weren't really believers. The church going was just ritual. But what we need to recognize, if we want kids to stick, and if what's happening is a disattachment, then us helping them not just believe in Jesus or have physical, philosophical reasons to believe in Jesus, but to actually have a deep, emotional, heartfelt attachment to Jesus. Yeah. And one of the sets of ways to do this is through rituals, rites of passage, and yeah. um, acts of remembrance. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I To lo- look at it as like a human thing, not just like a philosophical thing. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think that there are part, I would add on that, along with those special moments, maybe, you know, really hitting into like the, the emotion and the the depth of a person's connection with, with Jesus. I think some of these moments can be attached to like really um, gaining robust theology and doctrine. And I think that's something that the church can help with. And there's some some ways that we can do we can use methods that we already use, but but sort of like tighten them up. Like one example would be church membership. Mm-hmm. To instead of looking at church membership as just like um, your name being on a list, what if it was an added rite of passage where you go through the membership class where hopefully you're, you're learning and you're identifying these are, this is the core doctrine, the core beliefs of the church. So you're gaining that, that even uh, mental strength of your mm-hmm. faith. And when you, when you travel through that class and, and you, you, you likely identify like, ways of how are you going to serve in the church, not just the church is giving you, but you're going to, as a member, you are, you're going to be an active participant. You're, you're going to be serving. You're going to be giving that when we take people through the membership class, that when we oftentimes churches will have like a, a way where, that they introduce the members, um, that that can even in essence be a rite of passage. Like we are welcoming you in as a member of the church and affirming that you're your doctrine and beliefs line up with us. And so I, I think there, could, there can be some things like that, even within churches taking what they may see as sort of like um, classes to, to add some force to those and have a progression of spiritual formation classes that say like, hey, when you go through this class, it could even be something on apologetics or it could be on spiritual gifts that we're going to give you, we're going to celebrate that you made it through this, and we're going to give you like a certificate that shows like, hey, we we celebrate this. And I think those could be some ways that we weave in rites of passages that mm-hmm. are attached to kind of more of the, the cognitive side of our faith as well. Yeah, I think also like um, in things like youth ministries, especially, we've tried to do things like the whole idea of a retreat. Yeah. Was to try to, you mean, you're, you're basically going to still have like little talks and try to teach kids spiritual things, but you're going to like go to a new place and sleep in cabins or Mm -hmm. something or go on a canoe trip and you're going to like have fun and like face moderate danger that feels more dangerous. And you're going to like have a black bear walk through your camp on Thursday and like, you're going to, it's going to be this like big memory. And in that experience, like some of the reasons why, like, so many more kids percentage wise seem to like accept Jesus on the canoe trip or right. at summer camp yeah. than like on Wednesday at youth night. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because like as whole human beings going through this event, which is kind of like a trial and a ritual in which there is content 
right? Right. That you're learning that when that all comes together, it creates a moving and memorable turning point. Right. And when that child or a person recognizes this is a turning point, this is a defining moment in my yeah. life. Yeah. That really matters because people are, um, I think I said this in a sermon that we're like meaning of ours. Like mm-hmm. oh, okay. we, we eat meaning like yeah. our, like the yeah. food of our soul and our heart <laughs> is meaning. And when you're like, this is a turning point moment, this is right. a critical moment. This gives my life meaning right. or even I'm participating in the meaning of somebody else's life that that sticks with you. And it like, I mean, I, I was talking to a woman named Sue Gruen recently and we had been reading a book and the person's like, there's no such thing as just rational thinking by itself. Mm. There's no, there is no human thought that happens in the absence of emotion. Like we try to be as rational as right. we can, but it all happens at the same time. Right. And so having emotional attachment mm. and rational conviction come together is like geometrically more powerful yeah. than just like, oh, I got that. Yeah, that's an interesting reason. Right. Does yeah. that make sense? No, that definitely does. I, I think attached to that too is I think we're really a forgetful, we're very for, for, forgetful as people. And, and that's not true of just like today, you look back and I think that's like a mantra throughout the Old Testament. Like, remember, remember, remember. And they kept forgetting. Remember, remember. And even Jesus in giving the, the Lord's Supper to us, he says, do this in remembrance of me. He knows our weakness to over time just forget and drift. And um, so I think these practices, that's one thing that that's, kind of growing in my heart is to make sure that when we talk about rites of passage, that we don't think of just uh, a few isolated moments in someone's life and, or just apply it to young people. And part of that is that I think we have to have a continuation of rites of passage. So uh, not that we have one every day because then all, all of a sudden they become like no meaning in yeah. them. They're, they're not special, but you can't just have one and then done. They, they have to, they have to be, there has to be a rhythm. I think someone could mm-hmm. even look at, this is where a father of Jesus could really reflect on this on their own and say like, Hey, are there, po- are there moments in my life? Maybe for, for a, a married couple to say like, we want to make our yearly anniversary, a sort of like a rite of passage where we remember with like, maybe you watch your wedding ceremony or remember some of the words or talk, look at your photo album mm-hmm. in that act of remembering, okay, wow, I'm celebrating that wedding. Yeah. Um, so many different opportunities like that. Yeah. I think one of the things you're getting at here is, you know, there's some people who quote celebrate Christmas, like they have a Christmas tree, there's some presents exchanged. And then there's other families that like the kids will later say, oh yeah, every Christmas we did blank. We ate blank that like, you know, like every year on my wife's birthday, our family watches the movie, the princess bride. Right. Every year. I love that movie. (laughs) And it's just, and I don't even know if that's the movie Lexi wants to watch anymore, (laughs) but for her, it's still worth it because everybody piles in the den, makes Mm -hmm. food, watches the movie all the way through. And it's like, even my kids that are my older teenagers who are prone to think everything's stupid. Yeah. They can't help but revel in some of these anchors. Yeah. Even as trivial as like we watch this movie on this day. Yeah. So, uh, so to bring us home, like, you know, let's do some examples. So Mm -hmm. let's go back and forth. So, um, celebrating the day of your baptism annually as much as you would celebrate your birthday. Yeah. Like what's That's, another, so let's do a couple examples here. 
yeah, like I mentioned, the the anniversary would, would be a good one. Or you have a ritual like looking at your wedding yeah. photos and remembering yeah. your wedding. and Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, on, my, on birthdays in the Gibson house, mm. Alexi makes us tell stories about whoever's birthday it is. I love that. You have to tell like three stories. And yeah. so there's, there's yeah. six of us. So that's five yeah. people telling that's 15 stories. Yeah. But it's like, and they have to be good stories. Like yeah. it's kind of celebrating the other person or yeah. saying something remarkable about the other person. We do, we do a practice every November leading up to Thanksgiving where we collect some branches and we put it in. It kind of makes this, this, we call it the thankful tree. Mm-hmm. And then my wife has cut out these little paper leaves and then each day, um, all of us in our family, we write down a word of thankfulness from this past year and we add it on. So like by the time you hit Thanksgiving, the whole tree is filled with leaves, kind of a, uh, a, a unique way of, of just remembering how God worked through the whole past year and like just get like some of these aren't necessarily super spiritual. We could be like one of the words could be pizza (laughs) that we're thankful for. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so yeah, I just want to encourage those of you listening, um, that human beings find meaning in marking out certain times of their life, remembering what the turning points were. Mm -hmm. We celebrate what we think is important in the lives of others and in our own. And we have rituals where we have to remember things that we do very repetitively, like devotional times, coming to worship weekly, celebrating the Lord's Supper, and so on. And so it's incredibly important that um, we want to think that we're these unique individuals doing sexy and exciting, new and unique things every day. But human life is actually full of a number of repetitions that we do thousands or even millions of times. Mm And understanding how creatures of repetition become happy, attached to the right things emotionally, understand the right things deeply, and therefore are formed in character in the right ways permanently is critically connected to rituals, remembrances, and even rites of passage. Yeah. Any final words, Dan? Yeah, final word that I would say is just reflect on the fact that that we we as people, we do a lot of these things for in, in other areas of our life, whether we, we put a lot of focus and we celebrate things like sports or activities. And as I look at it, if I'm honest about American Christianity, I feel like we don't give a whole lot of attention to our faith and celebrating our faith and, and making sure that our faith is, is growing and strong. And, and, and know that this applies to like, whether you're a parent or an aunt or uncle or someone old, old, some are old or, or young, like you can help, you can do this yourself and you can help other people to, to walk in this where, um, where we put more focus on solidifying our faith, celebrating our faith. So we don't, so we just see less and less of these people that unfortunately drift away into the, into the wilderness. Uh, I mean, we, we want to see the family of God as strong as it is and as many people as it, as it can. And, and just perfectly, some of these rites of passages uh, would, would, would help solidify that and strengthen it. My guest today has been Dan Hayes. Thanks for being on the podcast, Dan. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you like this episode, rate us, review us on your favorite podcast platform, and also share this episode with a friend. That is the best way that we have to reach new listeners. If you have an idea for a question that you want us to answer on the podcast or just a general podcast topic, send us an email at podcast at highpointchurch.org and we'll do our best to fit it in. 
Also, if you'd like to find more episodes of the podcast, you can do so by going to highpointchurch.org slash podcast, or else we're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, other apps like that. So until next time, thanks for joining us for this episode of Engage and Equip.